continuing on. So who will bring a charge against God's elect? This is the ones that are in Christ. They ain't talking about the practicing, professing Christian who's living like the devil. He ain't talking about the one who thinks he's once saved, always saved, and he has a salvation, and all the works don't matter. That's foolishness. He's going to be enlightened with the flames of hell for believing that lie, and he deserves it. Scripture says they deserve it to be deceived. He says, so who can bring a charge against the one that is in Christ, that has been predestined, chosen, elected to be in the body? And he's joined the body and then grafted in. For God is the one who justifies. So who can bring a charge against them who are called and chosen and who are faithful, who stay in him? He's not talking about the backslider, the lukewarm, the worldly, the lying Christian. We call them Christians, but you know what we mean. Most people claim to be Christians are not Christians, but they give the lip service but they're going to find out it don't work. It is Christ. So it's in Christ that we have the hope of everything. So he's telling us, he's justified us. If we're in him, no one can condemn us. Again, he's not talking about the practicing, low-life, professing Christian with all these false doctrines. He lives like the devil, but he claims to be, oh, I'm a Christian. I was born again when I was three years old, and all that kind of nonsense. Uh-huh. But you're not following the Lord, so this don't apply to you. And the devil can bring condemnation, and if you walk in sin, that sin will condemn you. Yeah, and the devil will be the accuser, even of the Christian who falls into sin. If he doesn't deal with it, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he'll use death and sin and wickedness when he can. Okay. 8.34. Who is the one who condemns? Okay. No one if you're in Christ Jesus. Not if you profess to be in Christ Jesus. Not because you were water baptized and you verbally said, I believe in Jesus. Well, <laughs> millions are going to say, Lord, Lord, they believe who he is. And he goes, I never knew you. You cursed of my father. He could make it very plain what state they're in. Jesus Christ, he is the one who died and was raised, okay? So if we're in Christ, he's not talking about the gross, sinning, lip-service Christian, not a worldly-minded, self-absorbed person. That don't apply to them. Thus Christ died and rose for those who are in him, in the vine, continuing in the vine, okay? The word abide, continue, remain. People don't like that. People like to twist the script. Well, they really didn't bear, oh, no, 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 come on. The scripture said they were in Christ. It didn't say they professed to be in Christ. It said they were in Christ. And they were like the soil. They endured and received the gospel with joy. But they only endured a little while. They didn't get rooted in the word. They didn't follow the instruction that were given. And when trial and temptation came, because of that word, the God said they fall away. For they didn't get rooted. Well, they were in Christ. Okay. And Christ, who is even now at the right hand of the Father, 
He continues now to intercede for us, the church and the body. He does it in the person, the mediator, the man, bodily, and he does it in the believer with the Holy Spirit. In unity is the spirit of intercession, okay? Hebrews, go to Hebrews 10, verse 12. But this man, who's he talking about? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Eternal One, the Almighty God. This is who he's talking about. But this man, see, he was resurrected in his humanity, and he still retains it. Okay? And after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, moreover, he sat down at the right hand of God at his power. Some say he stands now as he intercedes. But when it says he's seated, it means he's rested. His work has been done as far as the sacrifice. He came as a prophet and a savior and a teacher and a sacrifice. He's acting as intercession now bodily. And when he comes back, he'll be a king and a judge, and he's not coming to save. He's coming to take those who are saved, and he's going to pull out his wrath on those who aren't. He's not coming with mercy or salvation. Not the time for that, okay? They're going to be more afraid of Christ when he returns than they ever were in the Old Testament. He is the eternal God. He's the same with him, okay? think and act the same way. So Christ the man, and yet he is Christ the word of God. As he told the disciples, I'm with you. See, he hadn't been glorified. He was living in the human body and the human mind and spirit. He said, I'm with you. But he said, I shall be in you. As the eternal God, the Christ in them, he was going to return when his glory was restored to him, when the full use of the Godhead and everything, when he resurrected, he joined, he is still now the Word of God, face to face with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word is God. He's the Almighty with the Father, okay? He's functioning, like we say, mainly he wants us to understand as our high priest, as our mediator. He came to earth, like we said, as prophet, savior, and sacrifice. He will return bodily as king and judge. Now, a lot of people who misunderstand scripture, they try to make Paul as the 13th apostle because they say the Lord appeared to him bodily. The Lord didn't say much thing in the scripture. He called it a vision. When Jesus left bodily, he will not return till the second coming. I don't care who it appears to. He doesn't do it bodily. But he is God. He can appear to anybody any kind of vision he wants. It's the reality. But Paul called it a vision. So he clarified that to the people who twist his scriptures, some to their own destruction, to try to exclude apostles that were the foundation, and he was not. He fulfilled his purposes and was given great grace but he was not of the foundation. And he had to submit to the foundation by the Lord's revelation. You go to Jerusalem and you submit to the foundation. And he did. And they validated his ministry. Okay. 35. Well, who will separate us from the love of Christ? 
All the heretics claim this one. Oh, I've been born again and saved. Once saved, always saved. So I can never be unsaved. Well, you believe that all you want. And when you weep and moan and wail in eternity and see how hopeless and how stupid you are and you understand nothing can be done about it, you'll think differently, okay? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? He's asking a question. And so many false Christians quote this as a cure-all for living in sin and making him sure and eternal security, and once saved, always saved, lying devils. Yet they're not in Christ. They're not following him. They're not being conformed to his holiness, his image. So they say nothing can separate us. Let me tell you something. When you read the whole context of this scripture, never once has he talked about sin. Sin will separate you. Not abiding in the brine will separate you. Practicing sin will separate you. Not taking up the cross daily and bearing fruit will separate you from Christ if you are a Christian. Okay? He makes it very plain. So he mentions these things. What is he talking about here? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, troubles on the sword, afflictions. What, what is he saying? For the Christian living here, he's in a warfare. And these things war against the true abiding Christian in his pilgrimage and his warfare under his probation for him to be an overcomer and prove his loyalty, faithfulness until the end. So none of these can separate the one who trusts and puts on the armor of Christ and perseveres with him with the grace he gives to do it. That's who he's talking about. It's not automatic. These opposing forces cannot defeat him, the one who obeys and stays in Christ. That's the one he's talking about, not the lip services. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's read 12 and 13. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Who's he talking to? He's talking to you and me. You don't get so proud, oh, that wouldn't happen to me. Uh-huh. You're already ripe for a fall because you got pride in you. You're self-sufficient. You don't walk daily with the Lord and keep short accounts with him. You'll fall. Because the Lord only gives grace to the humble, not the proud and arrogant. It says he resists them. So you get proud and arrogant as a Christian. He has something waiting for you. He has a great fall. And he's not going to give you grace as long as you live in that attitude. They think you're spiritual and you're superior. And when you are leading and helping young Christians that fall, it's that you that are spiritual restore that one, not some arrogant, proud uh, person who thinks he's a, such a wonderful Christian. He's already revealed he's not. He's ignorant. Paul would ask him if he's really a Christian. He'd make it plain. So he says to us, no temptation or trial has taken you except what is common to man. You don't fall under anything that no other man or woman has ever fallen under in their life. It's the common lot of humanity. You're not a special vessel. And if you do, you'd have to be given special vein. But he's saying it's nothing 
unnormal, unnatural about what's happening to you. It happens to others, okay? But he says, but God is faithful. So see, we see the side of God now, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able. Who's he talking to? The one who's walking and living in the Spirit. He's not talking to the practicing sinner. He's not talking about the lip service Christian. He's not talking about the one that claims the Lord and he's living in adultery. Because that don't apply to them. Okay? He will not let you. See? Temptation, death, all of these things cannot get to the Christian unless God gives permission, like with Job. Job was a righteous man, and God set the limits. He has the right to do that. And he gives them grace to overcome. Its intentions is not to tempt toward evil, but to test and give grace to overcome the test. That's what the weapons of Christ, uh, Paul talks about, are given to us. But with the temptation, he will make a way of escape. As someone said, he either delivers us in it or he delivers us out of it. But he's promised deliverance, okay? That you may be able to bear it. What does that word mean? That you will be able to endure, persevere through it. Because it's only he that endures to the end will be saved. So he gives us grace and power. But again, it has to be used. It is not automatic. That's why I've been thinking it's all going to just happen. It isn't. See, it's not going to happen. So, who will separate us from these things? Like I say, so many false Christians quote this as a cure-all for living in sin and for claiming their eternal security. It's not going to happen. Okay. So, the Christian is in a pilgrimage and a warfare. And none of these things that happen to him can separate him if he puts on the armor of Christ, if he abides in the vine and stays with the Lord till the end, nothing can defeat that person that is in Christ. That's the one he's talking about, okay? But temptations, I've heard of people of the world tell me that. They think they're spiritual. They say, well, God never gives us anything that we can't bear. Well, that only applies to Christians. doesn't apply to the world. They're given over to demonic forces. They practice sin. The devil can take advantage of them and use them and possess them and do many things. They're not offered that protection because that's for the covenant people, okay? And that applies to those who stay in Christ. 36, for just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is the world's attitude toward the true Christian. He's in opposition, the world and the devil, and God gives grace for this. Okay? Now go to Titus. We've been there many times. People don't want to read it because it exposes them, does away with their false assurances. Titus 1, 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure, the one that's in Christ and walks with him. But to those who are defiled and disobedient, nothing is pure. But even their mind and their conscience are defiled. 
is the one who don't want to walk with the Lord, that's walking in the flesh. Okay? They, the false Christian, the one that's really not in the Lord and following him, but they say, Lord, Lord. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, abominable and disobedient. Abominable to who? God. He despises it in their life. And disqualified for every good work. They're disqualified from Christianity. They don't produce spiritual works. They don't obey. They don't bear fruit. But they profess to know the Lord. Mm -hmm. So in works, fruit, and obedience, they deny the Lord. People think, oh, you just have to not deny the Lord verbally. No, they ain't what he talked about. Most people that say, Lord, Lord, have denied the Lord in their life. And that's why they're going to say, Lord, Lord, at the judgment and be a little surprised when he says, I don't know you. Okay? Never knew you. He said, you workers of lawlessness, cursed of my father. Now, that's what the Lamb of God, the Son of God, is going to say to the enemy at the end and those who professed to know him but did not follow him, okay? They weren't under the law of Christ. But in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, the one who's walking in the Spirit, that's putting on the armor, that's obeying the Lord. That's the one he's talking about. And all these tribulations and adversity, we're more than conquerors. Through him who loves and loved us and gives power and strength to be standing when the battle's over. See, many people say, well, I've lost so many battles, but at least I know I'll win the war. You cannot win a war without winning battles, okay? They've been very misled. They're claiming the one. Yeah, I hear them tell me. Well, I read the under the book, and uh, we're saved. I said, that's the true church, not you. You may be in or out, but there's no guarantee for you, only if you follow him, okay? Look at Ephesians 6. First of all, we'll look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. If you do not put it on, it does not work plain and simple. You are commanded to do something as a Christian. And if you don't do it, it's your fault. And you'll not get the help from God. Okay? Very plain. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the darts or the fiery arrows of the devil. If you don't put it on, he'll defeat you. Very plain and simple. Okay? So Paul's telling the Christian, you got to put it on. 13. Therefore, for this reason, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, the day of great temptation and trial, when the devil throws the most he can at you, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. See? Then that scripture applies. He'll not allow you to be tempted above what you're able. He'll give you grace. When the enemy comes in like an army, Isaiah says, the stand of the Lord 
shall be raised up against him. He will meet it. But it's the one that's obeying the Lord and walking in the Spirit. It doesn't apply to the practicing sinner. It doesn't apply to the carnal, the lukewarm, and the worldly, because they're not fulfilling the condition. So he said, after everything, after all the fighting and warfare, and you have your trust in Christ, and you've been given the armor, when the battle's over, you're standing. You haven't been defeated. You're an overcomer. And Jesus said, and if you don't overcome, you won't inherit these things. He told the church, you have to finally overcome. Now, you stay in Christ, you're a present-day overcomer. But it's not permanent unless you stay there. But when you overcome to the end, then you're in a permanent position of never being removed from that fixed position. So having done all with Christ and his weapons and Christ in us, the helper, the Holy Spirit called alongside, you do not go down in defeat. But if you're already in set of defeat, that scripture don't apply. You have to confess, you have to repent, you have to, if necessary, take God's chastisement on you if you've already been that way. Okay, again, Second Peter 2, 19. While they, the false shepherds, the greasy grace people, the professing Christian that doesn't have it and doesn't abide in Christ. While they promise them liberty, these false heretics are promising multitudes. Oh, you just have to say the Son's Prayer. Once saved, always saved. Oh, it's just works. You don't have to worry about it. And Jesus' attitude was leave them alone. If the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in the ditch. He doesn't say the poor misguided sinner. If he's misguided, because he don't want the truth. Because his conscience and the spirit would agitate him, and probably has, until he seared it, until he started fighting against it. I've heard many people say, well, I'm a Christian, there's no condemnation. I said, you're under perfect condemnation, because you're living in adultery, you just told me. But I'm in Christ. No, you're not in Christ. You're being condemned, because you're practicing evil, so how can you be in Christ? Oh, they love to argue around us. And after one or two warnings, I don't talk to them no more. That's you waste your time with a fool. They're going to be deceived. And God's going to see to it that they're going to be deceived. They keep fighting his spirit and the truth. That's what will happen. They themselves are slaves or corruption. So when these poor, ignorant people sometimes, and again, they're default, they go and try to confess to the minister all they say, oh, you're okay, you're under God's grace and faith. That's all it takes. Don't worry about it. You'll do better later. They don't even try to change them. They don't even threaten them that God might punish them for their sin. Oh, no, no, no. You're under grace and faith. Once saved, all they saved. You're secure. And yet it says they are under the power of sin themselves. They're in corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is brought into bondage. So Paul could say, because you're under grace, shall we continue in sin? And he as all laughs and says, yeah. He said, don't you know that it's who you obey? That's who your master is. He didn't say it's who you believe. Because if you believe right and you obey right, he said you will obey righteous living. 
You're not talking about some hypothetical Christ in heaven seated next to you because you're not there if you're not in Christ and he's not in you. Uh-huh. He's talking about the one who's serving the Lord and following him. Uh-huh. So we live in this today. There are many false teachers and they live in the world as sinner and they excuse it. Oh, I, I was in a church once and a person went up to repent but because they didn't believe in that once saved, always saved, I sit there and listened. And he went up to the minister trying to talk about he wasn't right with God and he needed to get right and saved. Oh, that minister talked him out of it. Oh, you're saved. He kept convincing him, you're saved. When the poor guy was telling him, I'm living in gross sin and I think the Lord's left me. He confirmed him in a lie. You know God has a special deep hell for him. He was trying to turn him away. He wanted to argue theology with him when the guy knew he wasn't right with God. Okay? He deceives them. If the blind lead the blind, like Jesus said, they both fall into the ditch. They both fall into the lake of fire. They complement. And Jesus' hard word is leave them alone. Like I keep saying, you're not required to hound people for 30 years. Actually, if a person professes to be a Christian and they want to argue scripture with you, after two or three times, Paul said, have nothing to do with them. They're sinning and they're ignorant. And he said, don't have nothing to do with them. Separate from them. He didn't say keep hounding them and pestering them. They made their decision. They may get opportunity again. They may not. But it's not God's intention to hound a wicked person and drag them by the ear into the kingdom. That's false theology. You see, these people trying to get people to say the Son's prayer and everything else don't matter. They're going to find out when they're in the lake of fire what matters and what didn't matter. So 38 says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principality, nor things present, nor things to come, Verse 39, no height, no depth, nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, they love to quote that one. Well, they're living in sin that don't apply. Well, they're practicing their own willful sin and living their own life. The scripture don't apply to them. I'm persuaded or convinced that these things cannot separate one who trusts and obeys Christ. Yet sin, making provision for the flesh, playing with sin, living unholy, selfish seekers of evil pleasures, can and will be separated from Christ. Okay? They don't want to hear that side of the story, do they? A Christian facing persecution and death or any adversity cannot separate that one that's living and walking in the Spirit. He gives them this grace everything that's needed. The angel or the power of the evil one he's talking about cannot pull that one from Christ without their consent and yielding. And if they're yielding to God, it can't be done. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the fallen angel, the demons. They must give way. Okay? James 4, okay, we read it often, and we need to read it more often. Daily, we need to remind ourselves of these spiritual things, lest we 
forget. See, that was the sin of Eve. He says, she said, the serpent beguiled me and I forgot. And Peter's epistle said, and I know you know these things, but lest you forget. He saw fit to remind Christians of these things. So what does James 4, 6 and 7 says? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he's quoting the old, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, for this reason, what reason? He gives you grace if you're not proud and willful and walking in fleshly things, he'll give you grace. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If you don't submit to God, you can't resist him. See, a lot of people think that, trying to resist the devil while they're still playing with their sin. Yeah, I've heard people, I counsel people years ago, they said, well, me and my girlfriend, we knew it was not right to have sex because we're not married. But we sat down and prayed next to the bed and asked the Lord to forgive us for what we're going to do. I thought, you're on your way to hell. You've insulted the spirit of grace. I would be very careful if I was like you. God ain't into people praying for the sins they're going to do. Okay, forgiveness. Uh-huh. If you do not Submit to God. All of your human willpower will not avail you. Resist, put up, fight, wrestle against, and win over the enemy is only for those who can submit to God. Because he gives grace. He sends the Holy Spirit. He helps us in us. He says in Hebrews, come to the throne of grace that you will receive help in times of need. Okay? They must submit to the Lordship and the leading of God's will. So nothing in our present or future life here on earth during our warfare or pilgrimage can pull us from Christ. No demonic power in the high places. Nothing can separate the one that's committed to Christ who's bearing fruit and abiding in him. This love of God holds and sustains by grace and strength to the practical overcomer. This love of God is based on our union with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, So this love of God is in Christ Jesus. And where is Christ Jesus? He indwells us. Uh-huh. And as the Lord said, he said, as the Father has loved me, he said, he'll love you. That, that's a big statement. You're now part of the family. So because of him, he loves you the same way he loved Christ on the earth. People find that hard to understand. But it's true. He loved the humanity of Christ. He's not talking about the divine nature now. Whatever he loved and cared for Christ, and Jesus said, and he loves me and listens to me all the time because I do those things that please him. And so God transfers that to the brethren. He says, I'm going to love them like I loved Christ. So, isn't that astounding? Okay. So, nothing can pull us or separate us from the love of God but our consenting to do as we please. See? Real briefly, John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, okay? And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23, And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make a home with him. The Godhead, the eternal Godhead comes in and dwells them. That's Christ in them, okay? So God will love that person. God is not interested in those trying to love him that do not obey and follow him. Sentiment and feelings and emotions does not impress God, okay? Sacrifice, singing, praising, worship, all this is vain if it's not built on keeping God's word. If you're disobedient, don't do those things because you'll bring the wrath of God. He said he despises the sacrifices of the wicked. You don't want nothing from them. No lip service, no confession of praise is accepted by the wicked from God. But all is accepted in thought, word, and deed that is spiritual works and fruitfulness for the one that is yoked and obeying Christ. And closing scripture, go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same kind of work to the full assurance until the end of your life. That's what he's talking about. Uh huh. God considers it unjust not to reward those doing good in his name, those helping other Christians. He would consider it unjust. He will reward all evil with punishment and wrath. He will reward the smallest good done for his kingdom and people. His justice, holiness, and character demands the Lord to act fairly in all of these things, and he delights in such. He delights in holiness. He's not looking for a way around it. He found a way around it, the lake of fire for the wicked. He's not changing himself. It's Jesus Christ, the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Let's close here. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding and the practical application of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.